I'm George Kittle, and you're listening to the Niner Guys. Welcome, everyone, to the Niner Guys after week one, a week one that was completely unexpected, at least from my standpoint. So it's taken a while to digest. I don't know about you, Jerry. Um, What are your thoughts on the Niners going to Chicago and losing? Yeah, unexpected indeed, Todd. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any other way to characterize Sunday's game other than to say that it was a massive letdown. Of course, if you ask Millie Vanilli, what would they say? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. Yeah, I guess I guess they would blame it on the rain. That's right, child of the 90s. Millie Vanilli would blame it on the rain because the inclement weather conditions certainly played a role, as did the ticky-tack officiating that went heavily against the Niners. But if this team is truly a Super Bowl contender, then they've got to be able to overcome such hurdles and play a hell of a lot better than they did on Sunday, especially on defense, because that's the unit that's supposed to be carrying this team. And they can't just think that dominating one half of play is good enough and then come out and play as sloppy as they did in the second half and expect to win. Now, I know people will point to the penalties, and yes, the penalties definitely sucked because five of them extended drives and three ultimately resulted in Chicago touchdowns. However, what nobody's talking about is that had Tayshawn Gibson intercepted a pass that basically went right to him and then threw him, Dante Pettis never would have had the opportunity to score on that drive. Or heck, had Eric Armstead been able to bring Justin Fields down when he had the chance, Fields never would have gotten that pass off, right? And as for the touchdown to Equinemius St. Brown, well, that was just a complete breakdown in coverage because not only was St. Brown wide open, but Byron Pringle was ridiculously wide open on that same play on the other side. That's why you saw Talanoa Hufunga completely stuck because he was left to basically cover both guys. And by the time he saw Fields target St. Brown, it was too late. However, as disappointing as the second half defense was, I was even more disappointed in how conservative and predictable Kyle Shanahan got with the offense. And look, I get it. Losing Elijah Mitchell early on, I'm sure, impacted some of what Kyle wanted to do. But when they were first in goal inside the Bears' 10 and Kyle just handed it off to Jeff Wilson twice, I mean, two times in a row for just a mere five yards, that just wasn't going to get it done. But the thing is, whenever the Niners are inside the red zone, I feel like Kyle needs to be more creative, especially since he's got all those weapons. Debo, Ayuk, Jennings, Juszczyk, and the biggest X factor of them all, Trey Lance. I mean, isn't that why, or at least one of the reasons why they drafted him? Because of the different dimensions he can bring to the red zone offense? What was he he drawing up on those napkins or whatever on the plane? I mean, if nothing else, let Lance play free and improvise when things break down, if nothing, you know, if nothing else. Because the Niners' offensive line is definitely a problem. And if they can't hold up against the Bears, I don't see them holding up against 
some of the more formidable defenses they'll be facing down the line this season. So I think Kyle and Trey's got to figure out a way where they can be more aggressive, more imaginative, and just cut it loose when the situation calls for it. What do you think? Um, I agree with some of that and not so much with others, just from the standpoint of the penalties, like you said, it was everything. It was the amount of penalties, you know, 12 penalties for 99 yards, plus when they came, plus three of them of the 15-yard variety, whether it be unsportsmanlike conduct, face mask, whatnot. They were just, I mean, any any one of those stopped that drive, you know, and, and that that's a momentum changer. That's a turning point in the game, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So the penalties were a problem. Um, as for your thoughts on Trey, look, we, we talked about it's going to be up and down. You're going to have to live with that. And I think up and down, what do you, what do you try and do for up and down? You try and be conservative. You try and do things that you're not asking him to do too much too soon. I mean, that's, I, I think that's, and this, this game plan was, not unusual. This was a Kyle. I mean, this was a Kyle Shanahan game plan. First offensive play was jet sweep to Ayuk, and then next play the other way, jet sweep to Debo. And we'll get to Debo later on in the in the podcast. But he's a he's a run guy. It's crossing patterns. I think there are a lot of things looking back on it that boy, I wish they would have done this. I wish they would have gotten Ayuk a little bit more involved. He had the first – he only had two targets. And yet one of them was on the, what, third play of the game, which was a, a great crossing pattern, which got him to the red zone right before Debo fumbled. So I would have liked to have seen that. Um, George Kittle didn't play, which I think would have been a nice security blanket, you know, for for him. Elijah Mitchell going down hurts because uh, because he does bring – and as much as we talk about Shanahan can turn – Coal into diamonds when it comes to running bats. Elijah Mitchell just seems to have an extra burst. He seems to have what Raheem Mostert and Matt Breida had during their runs with the Niners, that they hit the hole, and it's like an explosion through that line because as soon as they hit the crack, they are gone for 7, 10, 15 yards, if not more. Jeff Wilson doesn't have that. Uh, Ty Davis-Price wasn't even active for this game. Uh Mason was was the backup or the third string running back. So the Niners are going to have to adjust. They are going to have to make adjustments going into this game against Seattle because I texted you after the game. and This was, for me, disappointing but not devastating, especially after you saw what happened with the rest of the NFC West and the NFC in general. The, the NFC just – it looks weaker than I even thought it was going to be. So – if you're going to stub your toe, you're going to stub your toe. Um, all that being said, I did see some things that I liked, starting with Javon Kinlaw right off the bat, collapsing the pocket on the first play, getting the sack on the third play. You know, And then he goes down, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, here he goes. And he came back into the game. So I think Kinlaw was a positive, bringing that inside pressure. Bosa looked good. And I'll tell you, I do – I understand the response of, hey, they all had to play in the rain. It's the same thing. But it's not. The Niners are built on speed. So the rain is going to neutralize their speed. If you're slow and plotting, 
you're not gonna you're, you're not losing that much speed. Whereas if you're the Niners and you're Samson Eggpon and you're Nick Bosa and you're trying to use that speed, it's neutralized. So the rain and sloppy conditions definitely played in the favor of the Bears. So all that being said, again, disappointing, not devastating. Some good, but again, we we I was hoping if it's sloppy, I hope they just come out with a win and then correct it. It was sloppy. They came out with a loss, and now they got to play the the first place Seahawks. And I hear what you're saying in terms of Kyle wanting to keep things conservative because it was Trey's first game because of all the circumstances based on the injuries, Kittle not playing, and Elijah Mitchell. But you know, after watching the game, honestly, it just it felt very deja vu ish because it seems like Kyle's teams have this tendency where they appear to be in control but can't put teams away. Yep. Just like last year's opener against the Lions. It's where they had a big lead, but nearly in the end. And then the first matchup against Seattle, absolutely dominated the first half, kind of like they did in Sunday's game against Chicago, but then they lost. And against Cincinnati, the Niners had a sizable lead going into the fourth quarter, but they let the Bengals come back to tie it before pulling out the victory in OT. And of course, the NFC Championship game, which I don't think we need to revisit that. So anyway, this just feels like it's been a trend. And I'm wondering if it's because of Kyle being too conservative, where the entire team just follows his lead. And that's what makes them fall into sort of this malaise rather than being constantly aggressive and firing all cylinders the entire game or that his plays and approach maybe have just become too predictable because I've noticed that the coaches who were not of the conservative mindset were the ones who pulled out victories this week, like old buddy Mike McDaniel, who on fourth and seven from New England's 42 decided to go for it with only 24 seconds left and a half. And he dialed the play for Jalen Waddle, who took it to the house. Yep. The Dolphins beat the Patriots. And then, you know, another first-time head coach, Brian Dayball, decided to go for two in the win late in his game on the road against Tennessee. And despite the analytics not supporting such an aggressive mood move, the, the gamble paid off and the Giants won. And with the Saints, when they were struggling to move the ball against the Falcons, they just said, ah, let's just scrap the game plan and just let our playmakers go make some plays. And they came back to win. So... I'm just throwing it out there as something to ponder whether Shanahan's old school rigidness is holding the team back. Cause you know, like Debo, while obviously still, you know, great at being wide back, but him running the ball isn't going to catch anybody off guard this season. So, you know, I thought maybe Kyle could have used Debo as a decoy at times on Sunday in order to open up a play for maybe someone else, especially since the bears were totally keying in on him. Cause we saw in some of these other games where, you know, you had these totally random guys score because the opponents were more focused on the big name players like like the Chargers. They drew up t- touchdown plays for their rookie fullback, Xander Zorvath, and a wide receiver named DeAndre Carter, who I not, had not heard of neither guys. And, and then Dontrell Hilliard and Chris Myrick scored. I don't know who those guys are either. And Davis Mills threw two touchdowns to O.J. Howard, who literally just signed with the Texans like a week ago. So I'm just saying that it wouldn't hurt for Kyle to mix it up a little bit and keep the opponents guessing while also keeping the pedal to the metal. You're not the only one who is, you know, questioning Shanahan about numerous things. Um, 
the thing that I always get back to is the head coach determines the discipline of the team. They're the ones who instill the discipline in the expectations. And 12 penalties for 99 yards just doesn't get it done. And last year, the Niners were third in penalties, which, and we know a lot of those were those pass interference calls down the field, which is somewhat of a coaching point, I guess. You just say, stop grabbing them. But at the same time, you're like, well, you suck so bad. You got to do something to stop the, you know, inevitable touchdown. So, but the the continuation of, I mean, double digit penalties is not good. I mean, just can't do that. the The Bears had two hundred and four yards of offense and ninety nine yards of penalty. So you're talking darn near fifty percent increase in penalty yards. So, boy, you cut that down to a third, and all of a sudden it's a completely different game. And if an ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas. I understand, but. Again, I think it's the discipline. And I think early last season, we had this same conversation when Trent Cannon freaking dropped the kickoff and then tried to come. It's like, what are you teaching these guys? You have to be more buttoned down than this. And for all of Kyle's positives as a play caller and everything, I think that's where he's lacking. I think he gives his players too much leeway to be themselves or, you know, kind of instead of ratcheting it down and, and and making these guys be as accountable as necessary. I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if it's necessarily Kyle being a little too lax with his players. I mean, let's be honest. Last year's penalties, I would say 90% was attributed to one individual, Josh Norman and all of his DPIs. Yep. yep. And if it wasn't him, it was Dre Kirkpatrick. So um, but as for like Sunday, the, the problem I have, right, you mentioned 12 penalties for 99 yards. But what about the Bears? They only had three penalties for 24 yards. Now, are you really telling me that the Niners are that much more undisciplined of a team to have such a lopsided penalty tally? And yet the Bears are that much more buttoned up like the Niners are the 80s Raiders. I mean, I don't think so. First of all, that offensive pass interference call against Ayuk was complete BS, okay? The Mooney hold, in my opinion, he and the receiver were both hand-checking each other. Maybe you can say Mooney was a little bit more grabby, but that's, again, something I feel like doesn't shouldn't have been called. The Greenlaw face mask, okay, fine. His hand was on the face mask. I don't believe he grabbed the face and pulled down. And in my opinion, again, with a lot of these rules, and I know it's real time, it's hard, you know, especially with pouring rain or whatnot, but still, like, you, you, I feel like these referees need to call penalties based on what the, the rule was intended for, not just because, like, oh, the hand was on it, so so, so that's a face fight. And, and, and just like the Al Shair late hit on Fields began going down to the ground at roughly the same time. In fact, you can tell that Al Shair tried holding up in midair, where I think his chest may have hit Fields, not like helmet to helmet or anything, right? Because you can't stop midair. It's not possible, which is why they collided, right? Yet on that touchdown pass from Fields to Pettis, which, man, I just threw up a little in my mouth just saying those words. But anyway, if you watch that play, the Bears guard Lucas Patrick is totally holding Drake Jackson. But was it called? No. 
but it would have negated the touchdown had it been. So that's why I feel like it frustrates me to no end that officiating seems just so arbitrary, you know, where they, and, and their calls that they make up, they, they impact the games, right? Like I know you and everyone who's anti-blaming the refs won't want to hear it, but it's true. I mean, did you, did you see the Carolina Cleveland game? Uh, just the highlights. Right. Well, they end, right? So basically the yep. Panthers were up by one. Yep. Yep. 13 seconds left. Jacoby Brissett got the Browns to within 58-yard field goal attempt, and he did one of those clock-killing spikes. Yep. However, Brissett, for whatever reason, decided to do a little pump fake toward the ground mm-hmm. after getting the snap, but before actually spiking the ball. Mm-hmm. And the rule states, because I know you're big on rules, and you firmly believe that the refs follow these rules. Mm-hmm. So the rule states that, quote, a player under center is permitted to stop the game clock legally to save time if immediately upon receiving the snap, he begins a continuous throwing motion and throws the ball directly into the ground, end quote. Therefore, by doing that quick fake spike, Brissett was technically no longer eligible to kill the clock by spiking the ball without it being intentional grounding, which, had the refs called it correctly, would have moved the field goal attempt back 10 yards, which obviously, given that oversight by the refs, changed the outcome of the game, unless you believe Brown's kicker, Cade York, was better than Brandon, Mc, you know, Mc, uh, the Denver kicker, right, mm-hmm. McManus, yeah. because that would have been a 68-yard field goal that York would have had to make. So that's all I'm saying about the penalties, that yes, the Niners need to be more buttoned up, but in on Sunday's case, I don't know what's what happened because I honestly feel like the the referees were not watching the game fairly, equally, because I don't know how the Niners had 12 penalties and the Bears only had three. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into the refs with you, but <laughs> they, had, they had three false starts. They had, they had an Ill, ineligible man downfield. I mean, those aren't that, that's not even ticky-tack, like, arbitrary hand-fighting. Those are just those – are, those, those are the penalties that will, will kill you because, like, you, you know the snap count. You, you know you can't go, like, downfield. You know – you know, so it's like those types of things. Again, false start, offensive holding, false start, unnecessary roughness, defensive holding, ineligible man downfield, face mask, unsportsmanlike conduct, false start. It's like – Ineligible man, uh, downfield kick. Ineligible man. Down- so it's like I get it, you know. But again, we've we've talked for eighty-two years about this. You're not going to be able to get ticky-tack fouls all of the time. So if you're not going to get them all the time, you got to button up the thing. You got to control the things you can control. So well, news news flash: the offensive line not good. That's why you get all those false starts. I, I, I disagree with you. I thought your biggest concern of that interior offensive line, hard, hardly any issues. Where did the 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 pressure came uh, on the outside between Trent Williams and McGlinchey? Well, I didn't say just the interior was my issue. I'm saying the entire line is my You're, issue. And I told you McGlinchey was an issue. Again, I agree with you on McGlinchey, but you can't tell me you thought Trent Williams was going to be an no, issue. No, I said last week. I said Trent Williams can't block everybody. Right. Like he's You're the right. only guy I didn't worry about. Right, but he gave up more pressures than any of the guys on the interior. 
I don't know. That's not how, again, I don't know. I don't know if you're getting that info from like PFF or whatever, because I don't know how they ranked it because I saw their ranking and I do not understand how they could have had such glowing marks because what I saw with my own eyes during the game, it was bad. It was not good. But, okay. Well, again, moving on because I can't I can't get into your eyes to see what you, you see, thankfully, because it, it's not always pretty. But let's get to the biggest topic going into it, and that's Trey Lance. What were your thoughts on Trey overall? What did you like? Did, you know, what didn't you like? What's he need to improve on? Did he surprise you one way or another? Yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. He made some nice throws and was able to extend some plays with his legs. Now, I don't like the fact that Lance ended up leading the team in rushing for the day, but it showed how he was able to pick up the slack at least a little bit when the running game became in effective after Mitchell's departure. And I thought the pass to Ray Ray McLeod was really nice where he layered it over the defense. You know, I I don't think I ever seen him make that type of throw before, which, you know, just, which is just one more example of why he has to play because when he plays, he gets to do those kind of things to get better. Right. Everyone says that Steve Young said it, Peyton Manning said it. And that's why seeing him convert eight of 17 third downs was also promising. But for me, it was, the problem was the fact that being that it's a veteran team, I felt like they needed to help Lance more. Like, I don't know if, and I don't know if we saw much of that. Um, you know, Debo fumbled in the red zone yep. early in the game, yep. dropped the pass later on. And as I mentioned, I don't think the O-line really played all that great. Not quite sure how they got such flattering grades from PFF, especially since they, I believe they or somebody else did – calculate that Trey got less time to throw the ball in each of his dropbacks than Justin Fields did against our defensive line. Um, but, you know, it was definitely rough once they fell behind and had to come back in the monsoon. Um, I don't know how it looked on your television, but there were definitely these weird black digital marks on, on the yep. field yep. at that point in the fourth quarter. Cause I guess the downpour was so heavy that it washed away the, all the like hash marks and yardage lines. So that was the only way to keep track of where they were on, you know, from a TV standpoint. It was but, not good. Yeah. But aside from the weather being an issue, there were definitely throws that Trey wanted to have back. Right. Obviously the overthrow of Tyler Croft, that could have been a touchdown um, as well as the interception, which Eddie Jackson made a nice play on, but you know, it's, it's all a necessary learning experience for him. Like in my opinion, Right. And if we're going to be honest, Jimmy G makes those type of errant throws all the time, as well as those ill time picks. And, you know, if you looked at the game last year against the Colts, the game against Washington in 2019, it's not like Jimmy lit it up in these games in the rain as well. And again, I know you don't think so, but I think the offensive line was pro- problematic enough where had Jimmy been the quarterback, I think there have been a heck of a lot more sacks. Even as a backup, your Jimmy hate just is incredible. <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, am I not? Am I not spewing facts? No. Did Jimmy, Jimmy, did Jimmy Garoppolo have a good game against Indy? No, he had a very no. bad game. I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to defend either way. I was actually going to agree with you that if Jimmy played in that game, it was going to be no different because of the elements. Jimmy could have missed 
any number of those passes, and he has. Jimmy would not have scrambled for the yardage that traded. I get that. So there's no would, hate. Would, it's just would, what would, it is. Would Jimmy have? Would Jimmy have gotten the ball off quicker? I don't know. Oh, I mean, come the, the line. Me. I'm just saying no, the no, line no. is so bad. No, no, you can't. Jim, look, you may not like Jimmy, but if you want to talk facts, the fact is, is him getting rid of the ball quickly is one of his most positive attributes. Maybe under the different circumstances. Maybe if it wasn't pouring rain, and maybe if he had three pro bowlers on the front line. It doesn't matter. The, the idea, okay. he gets rid of the ball quick. That's one of his things. So, if you're saying, oh, he would have definitely been sacked, I can't say for sure. Because okay. if you're going to give Trey Lance the the out, of, well, he's athletic enough to get rid, get out of this, then you got to give Jimmy the benefit of, well, he could get, he would get rid of the ball. Okay, I will say, would he have gotten the ball out quicker than Lance because he just would make the, his decisions quicker? Yes. Yes. I'll give you that. And that and that and that's the only difference. That's my thing. Is again, I agree it probably wouldn't have changed the outcome of the game because getting rid of the ball quicker means you don't let the plays develop downfield. So does he check it down to use check opposed to hitting Jawan Jennings deep? Maybe. Does he check it down to Croc instead of hitting IU crossing over deep middle? Maybe, you know, but that that's it. For Trey, he did, he did enough. Or he didn't do, he didn't do enough to lose the game and he didn't do enough to win the game. And he's right there where I expected him to be. He showed athleticism. He showed some poise in the pocket. He showed some arm strength. He showed some issues with being a wide open receiver. Again, and I'm not comparing him to Jimmy. I'm just him in a vacuum. He missed Croft. He missed, you know, a couple passes. And that's a learning experience. That's part of the ups and downs. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to live with that. And I don't know why people get so upset Again, just pointing out facts. This is not, and I am not uh, bringing Jimmy back into the starting lineup guy. But saying Trey missed some passes is just a fact. And that's part of the learning process he's going to have to go through. Um, The best thing about it after week one for me is you want Trey to get this learning experience. You've said for a year now, he's got to play. He's got to learn in the game. This is a perfect year for him to do that because of how the NFC is set up. The NFC is not the AFC where every loss is going to be incredibly damaging. The NFC just doesn't have those dominant teams. As we just saw with the, the Packers get boat raced in, you know, by Minnesota, the Rams losing. I mean, the, the Cowboys, you know, are going, maybe going with Cooper rush as their quarterback. So the NFC has issues. So if you're going to learn, learn this year. Get those playing time this year. Defense has got to step up. The running game is going to have to step. Kyle's going to have to step up to carry this guy through six or eight games before he can get to the point where he might be able to lead you to a game. Well, Speaking of Jimmy, the big question now is, does he get traded to Dallas, given that Dak Prescott is out with his thumb injury? Or are they really going to roll with Cooper Rush for the next four to six weeks? Well, let's <clears throat> let's get into Jimmy in a minute. I want to talk, I want to continue on this game because there was one other thing uh, person I wanted to talk to talk about, and that was Debo. Debo had eight targets, but only two catches. He had a couple drops, 
He had the fumble. He had the eight carries. So rewinding to the offseason, apparently him being used as a running back wasn't such a big issue for him. I mean, taking eight carries opening day in that kind of situation. So, again, we talked about how wrong so many people out there were pushing this narrative. Just doesn't seem to be supported by facts. But Debo has to do more as the receivers. He if he's targeted eight times, I don't know. I don't know if those six were just uncatchable or or what, but he's got to be the elite receiver and he's got to do something to help his quarterback. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think one, the chemistry issues between Debo and Trey go back to the offseason because they did not train together versus you can see the chemistry between Trey Lance and Brandon Ayuk. Um, I also think that, as I mentioned before, Debo is no longer just kind of this, oh yeah, I've heard of Debo Samuel. Like he's a star, right? He's a name. Yep. And people are going to game plan for him. Defenses are going to key in on him. So I think that's why, you know, one of the differences you saw in the game on Sunday was, as opposed to last year, when Trey threw a screen, you know, to him, they pretty much jumped on him right away. Versus mm-hmm. last year, they threw, you know, Jimmy threw a screen pass to Debo and he took it to the house because there's like, holy cow, like we did not see this coming. So yeah. um, I just think that him being Mr. Wideback, toting the rock, especially with Elijah Mitchell now being out for quite some time will probably be, you know, a pretty fair chunk of, what he is going to be asked of him, his duties, um, just because he's, you know, he's going to be, he's good at it, right? So I I don't foresee actually them necessarily needing to throw the ball to Trey more. I feel like, and it's weird, maybe he does play almost this role of a, that college-esque wide receiver, a lot of bubble screens, a lot more running, right? Because that's his thing. And I don't know why. I mean, maybe because it's the first game, maybe because of the rain that they didn't activate Danny Gray. But I'd love to. Ha- I think that that's the chemistry. You see chemistry with Ayuk, Jennings, even Danny Gray. I think getting those guys as the deep receivers or receivers running these routes and then just have, you know, Debo sort of just there either in the backfield or running these shallow crosses just to kind of keep everybody guessing like, well, where is he going? Is he going shallow? Is he going deep? I think that's. To me, where Debo's role lies. So are you optimistic or are you pessimistic heading into this week? Uh, I've got to stay optimistic because they have to win. I know I know you you hate it when I say, God, it's a must win. It's a must win week. And, and look, when I say must win, I don't mean, oh, it's a must win or it's over and they go home, but it's a must win because they cannot fall to 0-2. Because if that should happen, oh my God, it's going to invite all sorts of questions, regardless of how Lance plays, because if they go 0-2, Kyle might actually put Lance on that short lease and possibly turn to Jimmy in Denver, um, which in my opinion, would be the worst possible move, mm-hmm. uh, which, and hopefully we don't need to cross that bridge. Mm-hmm. But, um, but speaking of cross, Charles Cross and the other rookie tackle 
you know, Seattle, Abraham Lucas should be exploited by Nick Bosa and company. Um, because you know, those guys, I mean, they're just bad matchups and I, you know, and uh, you know, we didn't talk about Nick Bosa or you, you mentioned him a little bit, but honestly I was, you know, again, granted it was rainy, wet, soggy. So maybe it, like you said, it sort of eliminated his ability to really speed rush these guys, but you know, and not that he had a bad game. He had a fine game, good game, whatever, but not a defensive player of the year type of game, which we were sort of going, mm-hmm. hyping him up, right? Like yep. this could be one of those years for him. Yep. Um, right. So yes, those conditions were not great. Um, you know, everybody sort of had their issues in the second half on the Niners defense, but yep. dude, he's a captain this year, you know, so he needs to pick it up, especially when you, when you see guys like Khalil Mack, right. Yep. With the chargers, three sacks, four fumble. Yep. TJ Watt, sack, interception, yep. right? Minka Fitzpatrick, 14 tackles and a pick six. Yep. And just makes Nick Bosa's numbers on Sunday pale in comparison. But real quick, before we go to Seattle, Seattle game, one guy that I cannot believe we've not mentioned yet, who is really the revelation and best player of the game for the Niners, was Talano Hufunga. Yep. Yep. Um, I... I- I agree interception making his making his result. So yeah, yeah I guess yeah. Jaquaski Tart may not have his reunion after all. Um yeah, I, I was gonna I asked you if you were optimistic or pessimistic, and you were optimistic, and I was gonna agree with you. And one of the reasons I was optimistic was Hufanga. Again, another fifth-round gem. Whoever's in charge of drafting in the fifth round it, it gets a raise. I mean, <laughs> the fifth round just is the money round for them. So I thought Hufunga played incredibly well. Um, other reasons why I'm optimistic is that Niners only had four passes of 20-plus yards, and that was basically due to the weather. I expect them to get more. I know you don't agree, but I thought the the – fairly clean stat sheet for the interior line again should be good enough against a Seattle defense that again isn't imposing uh in the front seven um and and the defense why they play the full game I get it but they only allowed three net yards in the first half passing yards three net passing yards because of the tackle for losses in the and the sack so this this defense can do it now I'll give you a little nugget of pessimism. There's a 50% chance of rain in Santa Clara on Sunday for the first time in like, I don't know, 400 days it's going to rain in California. And of course it's going to or possibly rain on Sunday. So something to keep an eye on, especially for everyone who said, well, you know, now that they get back home in sunny California, it's not going to be a big deal. So. Well, not only that, but I think they need to, send the this Geno Smith that somehow ended up playing and beating, shocking the world and beating the Denver Broncos on Monday night and send him back to whatever, you know, meta universe or metaverse that he came from because this Geno Smith looked like the actual Russell Wilson or looked like Russell Wilson, whereas the actual Russell Wilson looked slow and disinterested. So I don't know what was happening Monday night, but if Geno Smith played like he did on Monday night against the Niners, that will be yet another reason why I would just have a little bit more concern because I'd rather him turn back into the reckless, turnover-prone pumpkin that we're all 
accustomed to seeing. Well, you uh, you you segue us nicely into the rest of the NFL. So, swing us around the rest of the NFL with a couple games that caught your eye. You've mentioned a few throughout the podcast, but what caught your eye other than the Niner game? Well, for all the Trey haters, yeah, I'm looking at you, Mike Marks. I just want to let you know that a few quarterbacks threw three or more interceptions this week. And none of them had to play in a monsoon like Lance did. And they were big name quarterbacks like Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, Joe Burrow. So let's slow our roll before being judgy McJudge face on Lance, shall we? All right. So around the league. Now, the organization that I'm definitely going to judge, though, are the, the those Denver Broncos who I just mentioned. Like, what the hell was that on Monday night? How the hell do you waste a minute's worth of time in order to bleed the clock and rest the fate of the game on your kicker nailing a 64-yard field goal? Like, in what multiverse is that a winning strategy? Especially since you just traded the world for your new quarterback, Russell Wilson, who you also just backed up the Brinks truck and gave $245 million to. And how the hell... Do you lose to Geno Smith and the freaking Seahawks, for Christ's sakes? I mean, oh my gosh, I'm sure every Survivor Pool player just wants to wring Nathaniel Hackett's neck. Yep. (sighs) Anyway, so I'm also going to judge the Colts and the Texans, right? So Indy swapped out Carson Wentz for Matt Ryan, only to still not be able to win. Tying Houston in the opener, and they tied... Because Lovey Smith chose to punt with 20 seconds left in OT, even though his Texans were in Colts territory. This is why I would never hire a defensive coach as my head coach. Because that kind of conservative, not like, playing not to lose mentality just would drive me insane. Which is why I love seeing the aggressive approach of guys like, as I mentioned, Mike McDaniels and Brian day balls of steel as they call him now (laughs) and lastly i'm gonna judge bill belichick and the patriots now who the hell am i to question belichick and his eight super bowl rings well this is my podcast so i will judge him as i please on the podcast now remember last week when we questioned the wisdom of having named matt patricia and joe judge as offensive coordinators well yeah that didn't go well at all (laughs) in week one As they put up only seven points, they lost, and Mac Jones sustained a back injury. And and to top it off, that kid out of Tennessee, Chattanooga, who they were mocked for drafting in the first round, Cole Strange, well, he got benched in the first half. Oh, did he? I did not see that. (laughs) So I think he may have come back in the second half at some point. But yes, he got benched in the first half. So things do not sound like they're going swimmingly in New England. Oh, and I do think the Cowboy season – after one game is already over. So Cowboy fans, you can start your mock drafts now. That's uh, yes. Mock draft. It is. And we'll get to the Jimmy part of that in just a second, but uh, I want to rewind back to the original Thursday night game, that being the bills and the Rams, um, because it kind of ties into what I thought about what I said about Debo and the Niners. Cooper cup was targeted 15 times. And caught 13 of them. So, again, I 
I just need my elite receivers and elite playmakers to do that. So Trey, Debo, whether it requires more practice, more judge machine, more film set, whatever it is, you guys got to get back on that same page. Um, I agree with you. The the Cowboys, and, and again, I'll tie this into the Niners. The Cowboys have got to be just, I, I can't imagine what the Jones household was Sunday night after they got the report of, of what happened to Dak. What did he break a finger or fracture a thumb or something thumb. like that? Thumb. Yeah. So um, that's, that's devastating. Now, here is why, and I, I've heard all the other reasons why signing Jimmy was a bad idea. That right there is why I was okay signing Jimmy is because Dak didn't get crushed. He, it's not like he he didn't get hurt scrim. He smacked his hand on someone else's arm. And, and now he's out for six, eight weeks. And the Cowboys season, unless they make a trade, is over. And if the Niners went into this season with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy and that happened to Trey, the Niners season would be over, even with their Super Bowl-ready you know, team. So I get I, – I hear everything, but again, for me, it's about the team and the insurance policy that is Jimmy should anything get uh, happen to Trey. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the other game that caught my eye, the fighting Dan Campbells, just <laughs> they did the exact same thing as they did last year. They got down like, – <laughs> they were down, what, 38-21. I mean, they were down like almost 20 points into the fourth quarter. So what are the what do the Eagles do? Kind of take their, you know, go conservative, take their foot off the gas, but the Lions put up touchdown after touchdown. All of a sudden you look up and it's 38-35 and it's like, whoa, hold on, what's happening here? So the fighting Dan Campbells, they will fight you to the end. So um, any other games catch your eye? Well, I just wanted to respond to your thing about Debo and the receivers. And maybe this is just what's showing the league or showing Debo that he isn't quite the elite receiver he thinks he is. Because I'm just looking at the statistics. And even A.J. Brown, who's now on, you know, a brand new team um, with, you know, Jalen Hurts throwing to him. I mean, he wrapped up 155 yards Mm -hmm. on 10 receptions, right? So all the elite receivers, they just, they pile it on. You're Justin Jefferson, you're A.J. Browns, you're Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase. Cooper Cup also, obviously, because you mentioned him, and I I think I mentioned to you on text, I, I fully believe when he goes out to play, he puts on some sort of cloak of invisibility or he sprays him. I don't know how he can go and everybody knows the ball is going to Cooper Cup, cover Cooper Cup. But somehow he's always wide open. But also, it might also tell you that Kyle Shanahan does not do this. He does not target one receiver constantly, you know, in terms of the way his offensives start. Because he, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen that other than when he did have a guy like totally upper echelon, top of the league type of receiver in Julio Jones, right? When he was in Atlanta, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. But other than that, as far as when we've been with he's been with the Niners, we've never seen a receiver have that kind of workload where he was the primary target and that he got 10 
catches or 10 targets. I mean, it's, it's very, very rare. Yep. Yep. Um, and one other game that I, I wanted to mention was maybe Kyler does need a homework clause because the Cardinals looked really bad, but you know what? For Here's your fantasy football nugget of the week. Kyler is clearly going to be the king of garbage time points because they, he will not stop throwing even when down that much. And he, whether he believes it or whatever, he's trying to justify the contract that he got. Boy, he will continue to put up those stats despite still end up losing by 23 points to the Chiefs. So go ahead and make your, make your low ball bid in your fantasy league for Kyler Murray because he's not going to win, but he's going to put up some ugly or gaudy stats. So, and one, not even, not for a game, but kind of the overarching theme for the week. What happened to the kickers? I mean, the, the, the Steelers Bengals, they could not buy a field goal in regulation or overtime. Um, the bears kicker, uh, what's his name missed two extra points in the past two years. And he misses two against the Niners. You mentioned McManus. Now granted that was from the opposite side of the field at 60 some odd yards, but he came up short. So, and then Rodrigo, what happened to Rodrigo blanket chip? He kicks the ball on kickoffs twice out of bounds, misses a field goal. He gets cut today. So it was not a good week for kickers across the NFL. Not at all, but I don't know. Maybe it's the goggles, but I think the Niner, and I don't know if the Niners have any more room on their practice squad, but they should sign Rodrigo Blankenship. (laughs) Maybe they should. Maybe they should. Um, Right now, I mean, the bit, one of the best, the, the NFL is so popular for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons I believe it's so popular is because it's basically event viewing. You know when it's happening majority on Sunday. You might get your team might play Thursday or Monday night, but you know when they're playing, which makes Monday basically overreaction Monday for every every team, every fan base. So I want to throw a few of these things out there. You tell me if they're overreactions or their legitimate concerns. Quarterbacks who didn't play a snap in the preseason went three and eight. Does this mean they should play in the preseason? No, because I mean, going three and eight, not necessarily a surprise, but they still shouldn't be playing in the preseason because unfortunately, I mean, I know it's easy to say, well, they could get hurt during the season as well. First game, look at Dak Prescott. But I think it just hurts more when somebody gets hurt in the preseason. Um, And let's be honest, because of that, it's not just the quarterbacks. A lot of these teams in general are using this first couple of games as like preseason in terms of getting their guys in shape, getting everybody on the same page. The MVP race is already a three-person race. Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes. What about Justin Jefferson? Oh, I, that's that's what I'm saying. Should, so is that an overreaction? Think someone else could break into that top three? Or yes. Think- yes. I think it's an overreaction. I think somebody else will, will definitely enter the mix. Aaron Rodgers really doesn't have anyone to throw to, and he's pretty upset about it. That is not an overreaction, but it, well, 
he doesn't he's upset about it but then he goes home and he does some ayahuasca and or whatever other drugs he does and isn't all that upset afterwards so so i will agree with the first part not an overreaction but the second part is an overreaction because he will do some self-healing self-soothing um drugs and he will be just fine uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but the Patriots really are going to be a disaster. Not an overreaction. Saquon Barkley is back. He's back, baby. Not an overreaction. The Bengals were a fluke last year. What did I say last week? Super Bowl hangover. It is for real. For shizzle my nizzle. For not only apparently the losing team this year, but also for the winning team, as we saw with the Rams. And it's a little bit surprising how poorly the Bengals' offensive line played, considering they they try to bolster it this season with all those moves. And yeah, just you know, I mean, I don't think they're going to be complete disaster, but it's not going to go as smoothly or swimmingly as it did last year. The honeymoon is over, shall we say. Two more. Mike McCarthy will be fired before midseason. Ooh, before midseason. I'm going to say that's not an overreaction. So you think there's a strong possibility that he could be? If Cooper Rush is your quarterback, <laughs> then yes. And finally, the Chiefs' offense is going to be even better, even without Tyreek. Um, it's not that it's better without Tyreek. If it is better, it's better because Patrick Mahomes has gotten better. Very nice. So th those were overreactions that I heard or saw or read about through a number of fan bases. So... I like to gauge the temperature of, of everything. So, all right. How about I, can I give you two more? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Robert Sala fired before that season, before the end of the season. Uh, that's an overreaction. Um, the fact that he's got to start Joe Flacco is it buy, buys him, buys him time. Um, and cut now. Did you say at the end of the season? Well, I just said before the end of the season. Yeah, it could I don't be think I don't at think any be point before, before the end of the season. I don't think it'll be before the end of the season because he's getting a little leeway right now because he doesn't have Zach Wilson. When Zach Wilson comes back, if he looks terrible, if they end up as a two-win team, I can see it happening. But I, I think it's an overreaction to say he'd be fired before the end of the season. Nathaniel Hackett, one and done. I believe Nathaniel Hackett will be one and done. I don't think that's an overreaction. <laughs> um, I thought it was going to be questionable as it was, considering the ownership change in Denver. You spend four, almost $5 billion on something, you want to make it your own. You don't buy a $5 million house and keep the previous guy's furniture and you know that type of thing. So the Broncos... This is this is basically his audition year, you know. Can he do something? And if week one is any indication, poor play calling, not being able to get plays in on time, and you're talking about a, a an elite 
veteran quarterback. That shouldn't be uh, the issue. Plus the red zone issues that they have. All their running backs um, fumbling in the red zone on the goal line. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think it's an overreaction to think he's one and done because, if again, it the and I, and I said it uh, last on our preview show, I didn't think the Broncos were going to be very good. I didn't think they were going to be maybe this bad, but they might they might be a disaster. With that said, I think that wraps up most of week one. Um, so let's turn the page on to Seattle. What do you want to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Um, I know you've mentioned it's, you know, borderline must win, but what do you want to oh, see? Not from borderline the must win. It is must win, not my friend. It is must win. And hopefully – the Seahawks got it all out of their system in their revenge against Russ game. Um, Cause yeah, uh, they're on a short week. Cobra Kai season five just came out. So this is going to be no mercy Sunday, baby. They're going to win because they have to win. And also because you're barred from making the Niners as your lock of the week, since you jinxed them against the bears last week. So that's why they're going to win. That's why they're going to win. It's it's a it's a good thing. It's a good thing I can't pick them anymore. You're right. You are right. That's for sure. So um anything specific you want to see? I know we you talked a little more creativity from Kyle, a little bit more from the defense, specifically Bosa. Anything that you might want to see, especially especially out of the run game without Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, I mean and I definitely don't want to see Trey run it like 13 to 15 times again or whatever he ran this last week. Um, I mean, I know that it hurts to lose Elijah Mitchell. It's a good back, but like I told you last week, I didn't expect him to play all 16. I didn't expect him to get hurt week one. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who they get to replace him. I know they signed Marlon Mack to yep. the practice squad, which I think was a great pickup. I think he fits the system, and if he's all the way back from his torn Achilles, he could be that speed back that you know we we're missing. Uh, but as far as who's going to be RB one, I think Jeff Wilson will get the first crack since he's the veteran and he knows the protections. Um, I think Mister Wideback Debo Samuel will be toting the rock quite a bit as well. Um, but what's interesting to me is that Ty Davis Price was inactive this past Sunday and that training camp bright spot, JP Mason was the one who they had dressed. So does that, you know, for special teams purposes, they say, yep. Yep. So if, if Wilson isn't getting the job done, it'll be interesting to see like, will Mason be the next man up or because they for sure will be drafting, I mean, uh, dressing uh, Ty Davis price Will he be the one to get in? So it'll be interesting because if it's J.P. Mason, that will make it two years in a row that the Niners whiffed on drafting a running back in the third round. And what's also interesting is Kyle is net in his 49er tenure has never had the same running back lead the team in rushing, and he won't again this year. I mean, unless Mitchell comes back after week six and – puts up a thousand yards in 10 games or whatnot, but he's going to have another year with another leading rusher for the team. So 
again, we, we talk about it all the time. He's got to make magic out of this happen. So it's either Ty Davis Price, the draft pick, or, you know, it's it's Marlon Mack off the scrap heat, or it's J.P. Mason, the undrafted guy. But someone's got to step up and become the running back uh, that this team needs because you're right. Trey can't do it all, and, and, and Debo can't do it all. So with that said um, – I want to get to our locks of the week because the quicker we get to them, the quicker we put last week's behind us. Because <laughs> as you mentioned, my, we're, my we're really bad at this tonight. game so far. Loser. We're really bad at this game so far. <laughs> Your pick of the Broncos two. Let's let's turn it around. What you got? Your lock of the week. So I'm debating between the two Ohio teams, Cleveland Ooh. and Cincinnati. Okay. So I I don't believe in the Cooper Rush era, but Cincinnati's O-line makes me hecka nervous. And as we mentioned, Burrow threw quite a lot of picks last week. So I guess I'm going with Mr. Fake Spike and the Cleveland Browns. Sorry, uh, Robert Sully. Well, that, that will be – I mean, not that that's a – Super lock of the week because there are teams who are favored by significantly more, um, and I'm taking one of them because I, I, I can't I I got to get one of these right. So give me the Green Bay Packers and a very upset Aaron Rodgers to beat the Chicago Bears because I thought the Bears might win two games all year, let alone go two and zero. So uh, give me the Packers who are favored, I believe, by about ten points. Uh, as my lock of the week this week. With that said, we're coming to the end, but can't be a podcast without final thoughts. So, Jerry, your final thoughts. Well, it sucks to see injuries derail a team's potential, and we certainly experienced that over the years, particularly in 2020 when the Niners were besieged by injuries and injuries basically took the whole season out. And the Niners definitely felt the impact of not having George Kittle and Jimmy Ward against the bears in week one, because I have to believe that some of those miscues would not have happened with Ward directing the defense. And maybe Kittle would have caught up to that pass that overshot Croft, but who knows? But the reason I bring this up is because of how many injuries we saw already in week one throughout the league. Obviously, Elijah Mitchell and his MCL. T.J. Watt tore his pec. Uh, Najee Harris injured his Liz Frank. Um, Dak Prescott broke his broke his thumb, and um, Chris Godwin uh, hurt his hamstring. I mean, the list goes on and on. But what's especially troubling are the ACLs that keep getting torn on these artificial turfs. You know, and the play, NFL Players Association has even presented data which found that players have a 28% increased rate of non-contact lower extremity injuries while playing on artificial terms. So hopefully the league looks into this and does something about it because it's pretty clear that the artificial turf throughout the league, but particularly in New York, but throughout the league, is bad for the game. Yeah, um, yeah. When you when you started listing off all those guys who got injured in week one, it was, I mean, it's a who's who of, of guys getting hurt, and we've seen it before with 
with Nick Bosa. We saw it, you know, multi, uh, you know, whatever, a handful of years ago when Jimmy blew out his ACL in week, whatever, two or three. Uh, it can change the entire landscape of a team and their expectations for the season. So um, whatever they can do. I mean, we know the league – we know the league is all about safety, but I, I would I would agree. I hope they would do something about the surfaces that are creating these injuries, or at least not helping them. My final thought I was I had I had two. Um, one was my absolute utter disdain for the city of San Francisco. <laughs> I decided not to go that way because me. Comp- <laughs> Me complaining about the city of San Francisco is like you complaining about the refs. It's just, it's always going to be there. No one needs to hear it anymore. So I decided to switch it up and I'm going to talk about the lack of need of 11 year olds needing walk up music at baseball tournaments. (laughs) And I know it sounds like I'm Mr. No fun guy, but when you're at a tournament and you're at one of these complexes that has four, six, eight, ten fields at it. It doesn't matter if you start your music as the kid walks up just to turn it off when they get into the batter's box. Because there's ten other fields who are not on the same schedule as you that happen to be playing pitcher going into his motion or play actually happening. And let's face it. You're only doing it for you because there's no way these kids actually know half of these songs that you end up playing for them as their walk-up music. So, look, let's save the walk-up music for individual games at the college level. If not, be, I mean, if you got rid of all of it, I'd be okay. But 11-year-olds don't need walk-up music. They just don't. So that is my final thought. So that will wrap up week one and all our emotions, and we'll move on to week two. So Niners, Seahawks at Levi's, maybe a rainy Levi's. We'll have to see. But we will be back next week. I'm And I'm confident. We are, we're going to be discussing a good win and a quality Trey Lance outing. I have a good feeling about this. So for Jerry, I'm Todd. Thanks for listening to the Niner guys. Hit us up on social media. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Send us a review. We will see you next week. Good night.